This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. program mike broomhead phoenix arizona in just a bit longer for glenn before the year end for me before it's done and my last broadcast on the glenn beck show i I appreciate the time as always and thanks for tuning in we do have it confirmed coming up in the next segment of the show which will be at about uh you know 20 after this hour mike rowe will join me the mike rowe he has got a fantastic podcast it's called the way i heard it and uh, he is just kind of he's done something that I don't think anybody else has been able to do, even when they have tried. He has been able to take what is the working class American people, really the hardworking backbone of America, not over glorified it, not simplified it, made it entertaining and informative. And it is really he's the only one that's been able to do that. And uh, the way he speaks about the American working class, it resonates with me. I grew up a working class. I was an electrician, electrical contractor. So I've always admired what he's done, and I think I mentioned yesterday on the show, if I ever had a chance to speak with him, I'd like to have a conversation with him. And we're going to get a chance. So at 20 minutes after the hour, Mike Rowe will join the show. It was from a Blaze story yesterday, the Blaze.com story, him talking about the American class and how the American working class and how we tell people in secondary education to, you know, they've got degrees, the majors in poetry and some other things instead of, you know, the $140,000 a year welder. There doesn't seem to be the romance uh, to being called a welder. And I've got to tell you, uh, I think just the opposite growing up that way myself. My life was just that. I admired those. I admired the guys, ladies too. I'm not trying to be sexist. I admired the people in the hard hats. I admired the people with the work boots and the five-gallon buckets of tools. That's been my life. That was my life for a very long time before I switched into this career, which I absolutely love. I the building I'm in in Arizona is being remodeled our our radio stations our offices are being remodeled so the work crews are all here and watching and standing in the hallways and talking with those guys I still find myself most comfortable in that atmosphere because that's where I've come from uh, it, it it doesn't seem like there's a lot of romance in that but I can tell you that working class America may not be wealthy. They may never be wealthy, and most of them realize they're never going to become wealthy doing what they're doing, but they're happy. They're happy because they're productive. And I think that's where, politically speaking, where the finally, you know, where this political pendulum swings back and forth. I think part of the reason the pendulum has swung in the direction it has 
is that there is something in Americanism that Americans don't want to be handed anything. We like the idea of working for what we have. You know that in in other parts of the world, they still look at America wearing cowboy hats. They still see us as the American cowboy. The romance of the American cowboy is still alive in the sense of you put an honest day's work in for an honest day's pay. It's not about getting wealthy. It's that at the end of the day, you can be proud of the work you've done and every penny you have, you've earned. There's something about that in the American spirit that always makes us persevere. The economy has been horrible for for years now. We have had a slow drag out of the recession slash depression, whatever you want to call it. There seems to be a turning in the minds of the American people now. There seems to be an optimism. And I think a lot of this focus is being put back on them. And really the last thing I want to say about it politically is there was a story we didn't get to it yesterday about white fear and, and white guilt and what cost Hillary the election and what, you know, racist America did this. And it was not racist. It wasn't white supremacy. It wasn't any of those things. What won this election for Donald Trump was this. He went to the working class Americans, largely Democrat voters, largely union membership in states like Ohio and states like Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and Michigan. And he went over and over and over again. And he said to them, we're going to get these factories open again. We're going to lower the taxes for your bosses. We're going to lower the regulation for your bosses so they can be incentivized to bring your jobs back here. If they're leaving, we're going to get them to stay. If they're gone, we're going to incentivize them to come back. And the working class doesn't care that the rich are getting richer. The working class doesn't care if their bosses are making more money. What the working class cares about is being able to show up at the factory or at the office or wherever they work every day, put in an honest day's work, and get an honest day's pay. That's it. I mean, it's as simple as that. And that is what won Donald Trump this election, in my opinion. You don't take Florida, Ohio, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin as a Republican candidate for president without working class Democrats and Republicans believing your message more so than the other person just doesn't happen that way. I come from a working class background. I told you I was born in the Midwest. I was born in Northeast Ohio. I wasn't raised there. My home is you know, a town in Florida. I have a cousin that's a contractor in Northeast Ohio. I have a cousin that owns a coffee shop in Chesterland, Ohio. It's called Arabica Coffee House. These are working class people. We grew up together as little kids spending summers together. There's never They're not going to make movies about any of us. They're not going to do any of those things. They go to work every day. They work hard. And at the end of the day, they're proud of what they've accomplished. That is really the American dream. So uh, with that being said, yesterday I talked with, I talked about, and I talked about my admiration for Mike Rowe and the way he focuses on the working class. I've mentioned um, that I still DVR the episodes of Deadliest Catch, which I'm going to try my best not to even ask him about because I'm sure he's tired of talking about Deadliest Catch. But to... Show those men who are hard, 
uh, a lot of times crass, sophomore, juvenile, humored people, but look death in the eye every day on on the uh, on a ship dragging crab out of the ocean, and how it's become one of the most long lasting and most popular shows on there because of the relationships built, but also because. We do cheer for people that go out there and risk everything and come back with a pocket full of money. There is something awesome about watching a young kid work so tirelessly and get his butt chewed out for hours. For not doing something right. But by the time it's all over, it's high fives and hugs and a pocket full of money. So we're going to talk with Mike Rowe in a few moments. I hope you can stick around for that. Uh, again, his podcast is called The Way I Heard It. You can catch it online, and it, it really is its terrific, the way he approaches life and the way he looks at who we are as a country. And what he said in this Blaze article, he articulates the way I have always felt and tried to articulate myself, just not done it quite as well. So coming up in a few minutes, Mike Rowe is going to join me. It's a conversation I think it's pretty obvious I've been looking forward to for a long time. So once again, my name is Mike Broomhead. This is the Glenn Beck Program. We'll talk to Mike Rowe in just a moment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Hey, thanks for joining the show. My name is Mike Broomhead. I'm in Phoenix, Arizona in one more day for Glenn Beck. And uh, as I mentioned yesterday on the show, I've always had an admiration for the way Mike Rowe handles the working class America, whether it's Dirty Jobs, Deadliest Catch or his podcast now, The Way I Heard It. He has a knack for bringing forward and, and being entertaining about the working class in America. And when he's asked to speak and you hear interviews and I read the story in the blaze.com yesterday about Micro's take on why, as he travels the country looking, whether it's dirty jobs or anything else, he sees help wanted signs, and what that possibly could mean of why those jobs aren't being filled in America. It's always touched me, because if it weren't for the trades, I myself would have fallen through the cracks. I was 18 years old, barely had a high school diploma, wasn't going to go to college, was spinning my wheels doing nothing, and fell into being an apprentice electrician, and it changed my life. I was a business owner, and it showed me a path of being able to work with my brain and with my hands and feel a sense of accomplishment, which I think is more important to people a lot of times than the amount of money in a paycheck. So um, I've been waiting for this for quite a long time, and joining me now is Mike Rowe. Mike, it is a pleasure and an honor to talk to you. I'm going to do my level best, Mike, to be as interesting and fascinating as possible. That was quite an intro, and I'm humbled. (laughs) 
Well, listen, Mike, I have been a fan for a long time. And, uh, you know, Glenn and I have talked about you before. I, I've listened to you. I've watched you. Your take on Americanism and the working class and the people that really drive the economy and drive who we are as a country, I think is not only entertaining, it's an interesting look at that. What drove you to do that? Well, I mean, the, the honest answer is a 400-page book. I can't get around to finishing, but the short version is um, I, I grew up with the great good fortune of having really two dads. Um, my father, who was a, was a school teacher, a public school teacher, and my grandfather, who lived next door, who built the house I was born in without a blueprint. These two together uh, showed, rather than told, were told uh, what, what work actually looked like. My, my dad was typically his de facto apprentice, my grandfather's, and my grandfather, a guy with a seventh grade education, wound up being a master electrician, carpenter, steam fitter, pipe fitter, architect, mechanic, all of it by the time he was 35. And so I just, I had a front row seat to the kinds of jobs that make civilized life possible for the rest of us from the jump. And the reason I wound up doing the shows I ultimately wound up doing was because the thing I admired the most in my granddad, that, that, that gene, that chip in the back of his brain that just allowed him to put together a watch or a, or a combustion engine blindfolded, uh, is recessive. I didn't get it, <laughs> and it, to this day is one of uh, my, my, my great uh, disappointments. What I got was a genuine interest and respect for that work. And after 20 years or so of freelancing in television, I finally got a chance to uh, shine a light on guys like my pop. And that's what Dirty Jobs was. That's how it started. But, but honestly, its, its success had as much to do with the underlying themes of the show as it did with my... Uh, somewhat dogged insistence at the time to do a TV show that, that didn't rely on a second take. Um, we, we, we shot as honestly as we could. We didn't rehearse. We didn't hire actors or writers. We didn't pre-produce. We didn't scout. We showed up with a small crew and we became flies on the wall. And I did my best to keep up as anybody would do on their first day of work. And what came out the other end was a fairly authentic tribute to that thing we call labor. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's fascinating. My grandfather was my biggest influence. He was an auto mechanic, and I remember handing him tools as he fixed when he was retired. He fixed the, the neighbor's cars in our neighborhood, and I remember being fascinated at how he was able to take something that didn't work, know what the problem was, and fix it. He was like MacGyver before there was MacGyver, and I think that's what led me down the path I was myself but the take you, you give this, and it's interesting, um, I, I promised myself I wouldn't bring up Deadliest Catch, but I'm going to anyway. I got to meet Josh sure. Harris here in Arizona, and the way you show the hard-nosed life that those people live, where they are able to be both hard, but at the same time lovable, you cheer for them when they're successful. It is a, You shed a light on that in a way that makes us want to watch those people not change who they are, but be immensely successful. You're talking about a word that that doesn't get used as much as it used to because it's almost become um, uh, stereotypical of something, but it's, it's character. Right. You know, you're, you're watching character on the yes. screen, not characters, 
not you know imitations or derivative takes on some pre-existing archetype or whatever the experts would categorize it as, but you're seeing character. You mentioned Josh. You know, I've, I've known Josh for years. Um, I, I knew his dad. I wrote uh, a eulogy uh, for Phil when he died, and it crashed my website. And it was one of the many uh, occasions that made me realize the themes in Dirty Jobs, the themes in Deadliest Catch, and a lot of ways were the themes the headlines caught up with in 2008, 2009. And that's when, you know, Phil died in 2008. And it, it right. was, there was such an overwhelming uh, outpouring of, of sympathy and relatability. I think, I can't speak for the network, but I think a lot of people in charge of that show finally realized um, that we weren't watching a show about men catching uh, crabs in the Bering Sea. We were watching, especially with the case of the Cornelia Marie, which was, you know, Jake and Phil's and Josh's boat, uh, we were watching a family, uh, literally a nuclear family. We were watching a father trying to deal with the future of his kids. We were watching a man try and deal with the fate of his crew. And we were watching all of it with this backdrop, and this is probably the most important element, of the Bering Sea, which in a world of contrived, um, focus-grouped, Nonsense is still one of the great uh, characters in nonfiction television that can't be scripted. So when you pushed all that together, you had something a bit more relevant than a crab pot going over the side of the boat empty and coming up full. You had basic uh, relationships, hunter, gatherer, eat what you kill. You know, I was listening uh, a few minutes ago before I hopped on, and you were, you were really talking about that, that same basic thing with respect to risk. And, look, I would never suggest that <laughs> the world would be better if it were more dangerous, but I would suggest that we've tried so hard and, and we've succeeded in so many ways to eliminate risk from life. We right. do it you know, with insurance and actuarials and all these different things, and it's all very well-intended. But the truth is, there was a time in the country when people got paid based on their willingness to assume a level of risk. And we don't see that much anymore. But that dynamic is alive and well uh, in the shows we're talking about. You know, um, I've got about a minute left in the segment, and I want to talk to you about the way I heard it, this, this project of yours on the podcast. The description is a series of short mysteries from the curious mind with a short attention span. Tell us about the podcast and why. The podcast is just another attempt to shine a light on, in this case, history. Look, I, I, the, the world's full of stories and full of examples that I think are both entertaining and instructive. Paul Harvey in my estimation, was the master of yes. combining mystery with history and biography. And he did such a great job with the rest of the story in, in, in cleverly exposing people to tales and biographies that they would probably otherwise never listen to. The way I heard it is my attempt to keep that um, tradition alive. And we tested it six months ago. I just wanted to see if anybody cared. And I was putting up one a week you know, six-minute biographies, and 
we've reached uh, over 40 million. So apparently that's wow. good. And people called and said, <laughs> let's do some more. And I said, great. So I am. That's awesome. Mike, I, I can't thank you enough. I know you did this on short notice, and uh, it really is a pleasure to speak with you. I have always been a fan, and as one of those working-class people, I thank you for shedding a light on, on who we are, and it really is an honor. Hey, look, I, it's a pleasure to meet you. I've been a big fan of uh, Glenn's audience for many years. It's always great to talk to them, and uh, Happy New Year to you and yours. You too. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. There he is. He is the Mike Rowe, and the, the podcast is called The Way I Heard It. Thanks a lot, Mike. I appreciate it. We've got just a couple of seconds left here in this segment. Uh, there is the voice right there, the working man, and why uh, I've been such a fan for a time. So, um, other side, we will talk about the Russian threat, jobs coming back to America, and uh, Sprint bringing back 5,000, all that right around the corner. I'm Mike Broomhead. This is the Glenn Beck Program. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Program. All right, keeping in with the theme of the American economy and driving this ship that we have forward and trying to do the best we can as a nation. Uh, one of the um, just talking with Mike Rowe, which we're going to try to get turned around as quickly as we can. He uh, a great guest. And, and thank you again to, to Mike Rowe. Um, the podcast, again, is called The Way I Heard It. And it's 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 so interesting. If you want to go and take a listen to the same thing you're going to see on the on the screen from him, you can hear it on his podcast. Um, American people just want to work. We do. We want to be paid a fair day's wage. Everybody wants to make more money. I don't know of anybody who thinks they're overpaid. Look around you. Every athlete that's making millions has an agent that wants to get them millions more. Everybody that's working for 20 bucks an hour wants 22 that's kind of human nature. We'd like to, you know, advance our station in life. But more than that, I think, and especially as we get a little bit older and you start thinking about legacy, and that's where I am in my life. I've told the story. It's interesting that Mike talked about his grandfather and his father being his hero. My grandfather was my hero. My grandfather was John Wayne to me. And I remember as a little boy sitting on his lap and watching TV as a, re- as a little boy. And I have three grandsons now, and the oldest was less than a year old, and I was sitting in a recliner watching TV with him on my lap, and I got emotional, and I don't. My grandchildren are the one thing that can make me cry and tear up at the drop of a hat. It's, it's, it's embarrassing to a fault. My family laughs at me at how these boys can make me cry, but it is that legacy part of it. As I sat there looking at this little boy and it overcame me that I've become the lap. My grandfather died 40 years ago. I can tell you stories about him like they were yesterday. Can I have that kind of an influence on these little boys? But then you you move that out into a bigger picture about who we are as a country because whether or not I have that kind of influence on those three little boys specifically – 
we will have an influence on those those boys, that five-year-old, and every five-year-old in this country. When 15 short years from now, they will either be in the workforce, in the college classroom, or in the military. And what kind of a country are we going to hand them in 15 years? Now, I'm 49 years old. I'll be 50 in June of next year. You know as well as I do, when you get to be our age, 15 years is not a long time. So now... The last eight years of policy, forget anger, forget all of that stuff. Just look at where we are and where we need to be. Are we going to continue as a country to stand on opposite sides of the street? In this case, it's rich versus poor and throw rocks at each other. Or are we going to say, what moves us forward? What moves me forward? You're you're in the construction business like I was. You're one of those people in a pickup truck with a buck, five-gallon bucket of tools going to work every day. Don't you want to know that for the next 10 years you're going to have that job? That if the boss you're working for isn't paying you what your value is, that there are options for you to go to another company that's got a benefit package and a little bit more security, and that's only available because the economy is thriving and there's construction going on around you? If you've got that college degree and you're working in a field that you've wanted to work in for a long time, don't you want to know that those jobs are going to be available to you? And if you need to go somewhere else, there's options for you as well. Does it matter to you that the reason that your job is secure or the reason that there are expanses um, in jobs is the fact that your boss has got less regulation and a better chance to keep more of his or her profits because taxes are lower? Does it matter to you that your boss's 401k or your boss's um, retirement account just got bigger or they buy a brand new car? If it does, you're thinking way too much about your boss. Options and opportunity are what matter. And those are created by entrepreneurs. Those are created by people that are willing to risk it all for the dream of whatever it is for them. Sprint is bringing 5,000 jobs back here through an agreement that they made. But if you look at what happened in Indiana with the air conditioning manufacturing, with a was it a Taiwanese company making a $50 billion investment here, with other companies saying they're coming back and others saying that they're going to expand here instead of expanding somewhere else, I realize, and I'm not, I'm being, I'm as honest as I can be with you, I am. I was not a Trump supporter. He was not my first choice. I voted for Donald Trump because I thought he was a much better option than Hillary Clinton. I have been pleasantly, and not even surprised, I've just been, I have been very happy with the way Donald Trump has handled most of this transition from my perspective. I want what's best for America. I want the promises to be kept. I want the economy to move forward. I want Obamacare repealed and replaced, not because I don't like Barack Obama, but because it is bad for America. The idea of health insurance being available to Americans is a good idea. The way this plan was put into place is horrible for the economy of America. It's going to drag us down. It's going to put a lot of people out of business and it's going to put a lot of people in an economic shambles. 
So it needs to be fixed for the good of the country. But when Sprint says they're bringing 5,000 jobs back, OneWeb's going to create 3,000 jobs here. Um, Wherever you live, it's not just about a job. It's about a career. It's about an opportunity. It's about feeling, you know, a, a sense of accomplishment in what it is that you've done. But how in the world can we do that if we're upset because the rich are getting richer and, and we got we have to stop. I worked around wealthy people my whole life. I worked on a resort island for a long time as a manager of a small electrical contracting company. I worked around wealthy people all the time. And you know what they taught me? They taught me that they were no different than I am. They worried about money. They were concerned about their families. They wanted people to be successful. They cheered me on and hoping that someday I'd own my own business when I told them that was my dream. A lot of them gave me sound advice. The bosses I worked for that had money that I made a lot of money for in turn taught me a trade and taught me how to do things. And when I made mistakes, they paid for them. When I learned to estimate jobs and I estimated wrong and we did the job anyway and it didn't make either as much money as it should have or no money at all, that didn't come out of my pocket. So having animosity towards somebody that has something that I don't, it doesn't do me any good. And right now we're seeing that is seems to be the sentiment of the American people. That's how Donald Trump won over those swing states. You can blame the Russians. You can blame all that stuff. You can blame James Comey. You can blame all the people you want to. But in the end, it was the voters that voted in all of those states we've mentioned. Florida, Ohio, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin that voted for Barack Obama twice. Those same voters, when they were faced with a choice between the Trump policies and the Hillary Clinton policies, chose the economic policies of Donald Trump. It's not racist. It wasn't fear-mongering. It was, you want your job? We're going to fight to make sure your job stays here. Simple. In the most simplistic form. The Russians are threatening retaliation if the U.S. imposes sanctions. There was a tweet that just went out that MSNBC got a leak from the White House saying that the White House is going to announce covert action against Russia. How do you announce covert action? Isn't there an oxymoron there? You're announcing a sneak attack. Okay. And also, uh, remember the name Dylan Roof, uh, the man that committed those horrible murders in South Carolina um, where he went into intentionally into a historically black church and murdered people. Um, uh, what he has done in his trial. So we're going to wrap things up for the year, for me anyway, uh, with a couple of those things here in just a couple of moments. Again, social media users, uh, I am at Broomhead Show on Twitter, Mike Broomhead on Instagram, and the Mike Broomhead Show fan page on Facebook. I'd love to keep corresponding with you, even though this will be my last day here for Glenn. It's been a lot of fun. My name's Mike Broomhead. This is the Glenn Beck Program. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury.
is the Glenn Beck Program. All right, a few minutes left before I close it out for the year. And, you know, as much as I'd like to do the cornball year in review and kind of thing, I'm not going to do that. I I will say this, that um, it's going to be an interesting 2017. That's for sure. That uh, what we've seen in this past year has been divisive. We understand when there are changes as drastic as we've seen, there's going to be division. There's going to be disagreement. But we also got to understand that's just the way life is. One of the good things in my life is I grew up with people that didn't agree with me all the time. I've changed my own mind. I don't. I disagree with myself half the time. I contradict myself. But I've got people that I truly admire and truly care about that are as far to the left as I've ever been to the right. They're good people. They're honorable people. They work hard. They just completely disagree with me on fiscal military, and social issues. Now, I know it's odd to think that they would still be close with you, but they are. If there was one message I can send in 2017 to the people that listen to my show in Phoenix or anywhere else is if we stop talking to politicians, we start talking with each other, we all together realize we should have a healthy suspicion of the people we send to represent us in Washington or in local government. And if we understand that neither party has the corner on patriotism or crazy, there's plenty of crazy to go around on both sides of the aisle. There's plenty of patriotism to go around on both sides of the aisle. We figure out a way to work together. We're going to be better off. But this is what's funny. Just a little compare and contrast to close things out for today. The White House spokespeople said, saying that the United States had anything to do with this U.N. resolution against Israel and the settlements. They called it a distraction from, you know, moving forward and what needs to be done for America and for the world. Yet. The president of the United States in the White House is going to announce covert actions against Russia. It's not covert, Mr. President, if you announce it. That's like telling your wife about her surprise birthday party. It doesn't make sense, and it's not a surprise. But wouldn't it be just as easy to say Donald Trump won? Donald Trump's the president. Um, it's a distraction. Now, if the Russians are hacking American entities like the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, um, if they're doing that, that definitely should be investigated. There's no doubt about that. But when you're saying the motive is the election, as if somehow the Russians hacked into the voting machines, which are nothing more than tabulators. They do nothing but count. They're not even connected to the Internet. Oh, but Mike, they have software on the computer and the software can be manipulated. Okay. The Russians did that. The Democratic Party never even insinuated that. The results are the results. Donald Trump won the election in the Electoral College by a larger number than anybody thought possible. Changing or disbanding the Electoral College, um, stopping this way, you know, getting rid of the Electoral College for the future, 
doing anything you can in the courts or otherwise, Jill Stein, and now the president leaving a legacy of doubt by saying we're going we're gonna to punish the Russians. We've got some kind of sanctions against the Russians. Well, the Russians are saying they're going to retaliate. If there's any kind of sanctions imposed, they'll retaliate. To what degree they can, I don't know. I don't trust Vladimir Putin. I think Vladimir Putin is a KGB agent that wants to bring back the glory days of the Soviet Union. I think he learned a lesson that Mikhail Gorbachev taught him, which was the economy of Russia is what caused their demise. Their economy couldn't keep up with our economy when it came to the arms race, and it ruined the Soviet Union. It decimated it, and that's why it fell apart. So he is trying to rebuild the Russian economy by taking over the places he are, the ports, the port cities, his foot in the oil-rich Middle East. Go look at a map where Syria is and Iraq is in reference to Iran and to Israel. The oil-rich parts of the Middle East to have his feet in there, his fingers in that pie. Rejuvenate and bolster the economy of Russia, rebuild the Soviet Union, so they are once again a superpower. If you don't think that former KGB agent is doing that, you're absolutely wrong. Absolutely wrong. All right, it looks like I am out of time. We are out of time. I hope you have a great and happy new year. My name is Mike Broomhead in Phoenix, Arizona. I hope you'll stay in touch via social media. Happy new year, everyone. God bless. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury.